So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to open a word of prayer, and then we'll go over the outline, and then we will dig in to the text for this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Oh, Lord, we don't want the words of men. That's a waste of time. We don't want our opinions. May the word of God speak to us. And Lord, I thank you for everyone who's watching either now or later. Uh, It's a divine appointment. Lord, I pray if anyone doesn't know you, that they'd surrender their lives to you today, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, for those of us who do know you, may we be unashamed of the gospel. May we live out loud for you. So Lord, minister to our hearts, be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So I titled the message today, if you've got an outline, uh, if you don't have an outline, there's, again, it's on my Facebook page. I know most of you are Facebook, my Facebook friends. Uh, it's David and Lena Johnston, if you don't have it. Uh, I titled the message, Jesus is Messiah, Savior, and Lord. Jesus is the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the one the world was waiting for. He always has been the one, the, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He is the Messiah. He is our Savior. But guys, if he's your Savior, he must be your Lord. He can't be just Savior. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And so we're going to look at two main points this morning. As Jesus uh, coming to the cross days away, we're going to see his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We're going to, and then we're going to see just how he fulfilled prophecy and the way that he did that, proving himself to be God. And then we're also going to see what he does in the few days he has in Jerusalem and why those things are significant Again, to us to understand why Jesus came and who he is. So point number one, Jesus presents himself as the long-awaited Messiah. He fulfills prophecy. Do you know that every other religious leader out there fulfills absolutely zero prophecies and our Savior fulfills hundreds? When people ask you, what's the difference between Christianity and Islam and, and Hinduism? And you know what? They're all dead gods. We serve a risen living Savior. They have no prophetic truth. We have prophetic truth. They have no historical uh, things that were fulfilled. We, history proves that Jesus is the Savior. They, ha- they don't have any, again, uh, the prophetic truth that, and, and the historical truth and the archaeological truth. All of it points to the truth of the Bible and that Jesus Christ is God. And you and I should be able to answer, well, I just feel like it's true. No, we don't check our brains at the door. We don't believe in spite of the evidence. We're going to see some prophecies this morning that prove that Jesus Christ is God. Amen? On the outline, if you have it, he fulfills prophecy. We're going to see two main ones this morning. Zechariah 9.9 says that Jesus will come into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey, a foal of a donkey. And then we'll also see that in, in Daniel chapter 9, that Daniel, God gave him a vision and God showed him the 70 weeks. And part of that was the exhortation and the word that came forth that from the day that the temple was commanded to be rebuilt, that if you take the calculations, 173,880 days later, the Messiah would come in to Jerusalem. And guess what? 173,880 days after Artaxerxes gave the command to Noah, to, or to Nehemiah, excuse me, to rebuild the temple, that exact day Jesus showed up. Guys, that's a God thing. Can I get an amen to that? So he fulfills prophecy. Secondly, he receives temporary praise from people. Now I want to say this. We're going to see in this morning's text, when Jesus enters Jerusalem, 
They're going to be singing, save now we pray you. Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. They give him the reception of a king as they're laying their clothes down before him. And they're laying down palm branches before him. This is a great celebration. Here's the sad part. Many of the same people that were praising him when he arrived just four days later will be shouting out, crucify him. And there's a lot of people today, and maybe you're one of them, where, you know, Jesus, you think, oh, good things about him, and especially when we're going through a pandemic, we might want to reach out to him just in case. Guys, it's not enough just to believe in him for the moment. You need to surrender your life to him forever. Can I get an amen to that? And it's got to go beyond just this momentary praising him or momentary crying out to his name because you're desperate. And that's kind of what happened on Palm Sunday. But sadly, we saw a few days later that they began to reject him. And why did they reject him? Because their faith was conditional. He didn't meet what their expectations were. You know, I gave my life to Jesus and he didn't give me the Cadillac I wanted or the promotion at work or the girl I wanted to marry. Guys, that's got nothing to do with who Jesus is. Kind of get an amen. So one reason that people walk away is it's a conditional faith. Some see him as only a prophet. Guys, it's not enough to believe that Jesus is a prophet. He is Messiah. He is Savior and he is Lord. And you cannot pick and choose. And some people look at Jesus and say, oh, I could learn a few things from him. You know, and he's a good teacher. Guys, he's far beyond a good teacher. And we'll see that in this morning's text. And then finally, there are those who see him as a threat to their fleshly way of life. They're ready to surrender their life to the Lord until they realize to follow Jesus means I need to obey him. And to obey him means I'm going to have to walk away from some of the stuff that I'm doing in my life. Stuff, by the way, that will destroy you. Uh, Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And there's a lot of people that their walk with God is, I'll walk with him as long as he doesn't make me quit drinking. As long as I can keep sleeping with my girlfriend. As long as I can continue to be involved in the, the things of this world and pursue them and make them more important than the Lord. Well, those very same people who cried out, Hosanna, save now, we pray you. They're going to cry out, crucify him, many of them, for these reasons. And my prayer is if you're in any of those camps today, don't stay there. If, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if he's a God of convenience, he needs to be God of, all, of every, every part of your life. If he's just a God of, of somebody who's a good teacher, he's got to go beyond being a good teacher to being your Savior and your Lord. And finally, you know what? Anything you have to give up for the Lord, you, get, you lose nothing and you gain everything when you give your life to Jesus Christ. So point number one is Jesus presents himself as the long-awaited Messiah. And then secondly, he's going to confront hypocrisy. So Jesus has just a few days in Jerusalem, and we're going to see that while he's there, you would think, and some of them anticipated, that he would go into the Roman government and throw them out, because that's kind of what they were looking for, was a conquering king. And instead of going to the, you know, the authorities or to the government, he went to the temple. And what did he do in the temple? He confronted those who had turned his father's house into a den of thieves. See, there were those who were religious and lost. Much like the world today, most people in America, if you ask them, I don't know what the percentage is anymore because it changes, but most people, if you ask them if they're a Christian in America, I think it's probably more people would say they are than not. It used to be 80%, maybe it's 50 or 60% now. Here's the reality. Not that many people are really saved. Just because you say you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. And, and, and so the reality is that there's time where our faith needs to be confronted. And the faith of the people in this morning's text is going to be confronted. He's going to confront these religious leaders, these self-righteous people who wear the black robes and have these positions of authority because they had turned his father's house into a den of thieves. 
They had turned religion into a money-making operation. Does that sound familiar? Some of you might be watching right now and saying, oh yeah, religion, it's all about money. Sadly, for some people it is, and Jesus is going to rebuke them just as hard as he rebukes the people in the chapter tonight, or this morning. And so he's going to confront hypocrisy because he turned his father's house into a den of thieves. Here's what the church should be. This is from the Word of God. It should be a house of prayer. The Bible says to pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. It should be a place where broken and hurting people can come and be helped. You hear me say it often, the church is not a police, uh, a police station where people come to get bit up, beat up. It's a hospital where people come to be healed. Amen? So the church is a house of prayer. It's a place for broken people to be healed. It's also a place where God's power should be evident. Can I get an amen to that? The power of God and the presence of God should be evident in the local church. We do not serve a dead God. We do not serve vain rituals. We do not serve a bunch of uh, you know, ritualistic things from the past. But we have a relationship with the true and living God, and it should be evident in the local church. And lastly, it should be a place where Jesus is praised. We should praise him because he's worthy to be worshipped and to be praised. And then finally, we're going to see that while religious had become the faithless and fruitless, Jesus is going to confront their hypocrisy because though they were very religious, they were faithless and fruitless. Their lives did not, they were not living lives of faith and their lives were not producing fruit. The Bible says, by your fruit, they shall know you. If your life is not bearing any fruit, you're not saved. And so reality is if we're grafted in, it's John 15, he is he is the vine, and we are the branches, and we bear much fruit. So life that doesn't bear any fruit is one that Jesus would confront. So let's begin there, looking in Matthew 21. We're going to pick up in verse 1. Jesus has been traveling a great distance with his apostles, about 70 miles from the Galilee region. And as he comes close to Jerusalem, it's going to be amazing how he stops and does something. So He's traveled this great distance by foot the entire way. I don't know how long it takes to walk 70 miles. Uh, it's, it's several days, especially in those days, up and down hills. I've, I've driven that trip from uh, Jerusalem to Jerusalem from the Sea of Galilee, and it's a, it's a several-hour drive. And so Jesus and his apostles have walked a great distance. By the way, as he's walking to Jerusalem, he makes often stops to, to minister to individuals. See, Jesus is never too busy to minister to you. He's never too busy to stop and to speak into somebody's life. And as he's been along the way, he's been ministering to people. Even though he's headed to the cross to save the world, praise God for it, he at the same time has time to minister to individuals along the way. And you know what? Praise God that that's the heart of our Savior, and that ought to be our heart as well. We should never be too busy to minister to the individuals. Let's begin there in verse 1. Jesus presents himself as the long-awaited Messiah. We'll see that he fulfills prophecy and then receives the temporary praises of people. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. 
So they've traveled 70 miles. Uh, those of you who've been to Israel, the Mount of Olives is just right across. If you're Mount of Olives, you could th- throw a rock from the Mount of Olives to the other side of the Brook Kidron. It's just a very short distance. It's right there in front of you. And they get to the Mount of Olives. They're literally hundreds of feet away from entering into Jerusalem. He's walked 70 miles, and he doesn't just walk the rest of the way, which he easily could have. And he stops and tells his disciples to go get a donkey. Now, why in the world would he do that? Why would he need, and not just a donkey, a foal of a donkey, which means like the donkey's baby. And we're going to see that we know from the word of God that this is a donkey that's never been ridden on before. Now, if you're making a triumphant entry as a king, you would think you'd be on the baddest horse on the planet, or you'd be, have a chariot driving you in. But that's not our savior, because we know when he comes again, he's going to come on a white horse, and he's going to come uh, again for, for battle, for war. But in this case, he came in humility, and he comes on the foal of a donkey. And so he's fulfilling scripture. Because it says in Zechariah 9, Behold, your king is coming. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus had prophetically been predicted that as the Messiah, that he would arrive on this exact day. We'll talk about that in a moment. But also how he would arrive. And because he is God, he is going to fulfill the prophecy of who he is. So he's headed to the cross to save billions. He's never too busy to stop and minister to to individuals. And at the same time, he fulfills all prophecy because he is God. Application, again, instead of being so stressed out about the life we live, you know, Jesus is headed to the cross of Calvary. We know that he's going he's gonna to sweat great drops of blood as he cries out to his Father. He's in a situation where he knows the sin of all mankind is about to be placed upon him, and he still is loving and kind and gracious and merciful and unhurried. Guys, I know we're going through a pandemic. I know it's a difficult situation for many of us. We should never be too busy to love on somebody. We should never be too busy to pick up the phone as the Holy Spirit leads us to call somebody and encourage them. Maybe there's somebody that you know, maybe someone in our fellowship or wherever you're watching this that you know that's older, that can't get to the, get to the store or to the pharmacy. You know, give them a call and go drive and take care of it for them and bring them back and love on them in Jesus' name. Jesus headed to the cross and he was, he was so focused on the individual that he was never too busy. Maybe learn from him. Can I get an amen to that? May we follow his example and apply it to our lives as well. Be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Recognize the God-given opportunities that God gives us to minister to others. And again, people are never an annoying interruption. They were always God's divine appointments. Amen? Now, what you need to know about Jerusalem at this point, now that they're there, is Jerusalem would swell up because this was Passover time. And Passover is when they would come and remember what the Lord had done hundreds of years earlier in delivering them out of bondage in Egypt. They were bound for 400 years. They were enslaved due largely to their own disobedience. They finally cry out to the Lord. The Lord delivered them out of bondage. And if you know the Passover story, it all points to Jesus. It's not by any chance that Jesus is entering in to Jerusalem at Passover. Why? Because Passover... There were many plagues that came, but the deliverance came when they took the blood of the lamb. 
and they applied the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross, and then, the, then death would have no sting if you had the blood of the lamb over your household. You would be delivered from the righteous judgment that you deserved because the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross. And so here we have the, blood, the, the lamb of God coming at the time when the blood of the lamb same time when they're celebrating the Passover, looking back and remembering God's deliverance. Guys, from this day forward, they were remembering, we should be remembering, not the deliverance in the past, but the deliverance for our future. That we've been redeemed, we've been forgiven because of the blood of the Lamb. Now, Passover has swollen up Jerusalem. It's become, some say as many as two million people. Certainly hundreds of thousands of people have come from great distance to celebrate Passover. And it's then that Jesus come when this crowd, like Super Bowl, is in your hometown. I mean, people are coming from everywhere. They're all there. And now Jesus arrives. And when he comes, he stops to fulfill prophecy and sends his disciples to go and get a donkey. You know what? Jesus is fully man, as we will see in his suffering, but he's also fully God, as we've seen in his power over sickness, over death, and over creation. On his walk to Jerusalem, he had healed the sick. He had been in the past. He had raised the dead. He had cast out demons. He had calmed the storm. He had walked on water. And now we see that he's all-knowing. He tells them where to go and get a donkey. Now, I heard some commentators say, well, Jesus probably prearranged it. I don't think so. I don't think he had to call ahead. First of all, there was no phones anyway. Can I get an amen? I don't think he sent a messenger ahead to get somebody to agree. It's just the Lord. Can I get an amen? If he can say light is and light was, I think he can arrange for people to feel good about loaning him a donkey. Can I get an amen to that? So he sends his guys. Now, I want to say this too. Praise God for the disciples obeying because they could have said a donkey, really? We just walked 70 miles and you want a little lame donkey? Let's go get you a steed. They could have come back with a different animal than the Lord commanded. And sometimes when God asks us to do things, we don't understand. You know, we don't need to understand. We just need to obey. Can I get an amen to that? And now in his omniscience, he tells them where to go, where to find a donkey. He tells them if they say anything, just say the Lord has need of it and how they will respond. Verse four, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Matthew now quotes from Zechariah 9.9. By the way, Jesus is on every page of the Old Testament. It all points to him. History is his story. And when you go to the Old Testament and you see all the, that you read through any chapter of the Bible, you will find Jesus there. And so here we are connecting this prophecy made hundreds of years before about the coming Messiah. And here Jesus is about to fulfill it. His entrance into Jerusalem would be the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And again, shouting through his actions that he is the Messiah they have been waiting for. Nobody else showed up on this day on a donkey but Jesus, which means nobody else can be the Messiah. Nobody else was born of a virgin but Jesus, which means nobody else can be the Messiah. Nobody else was born in Bethlehem proclaiming to be the Messiah, which means Jesus is the Messiah and there's no other Messiah. Guys, if you're waiting for the Messiah, he already came and it's not too late. Can I get an amen to that? We're meeting here in the synagogue. We love the Jewish people. Jesus loves you. He is the Messiah. He's the one you've been waiting for. I pray that you would open your eyes to him. So he's coming 
lowly, sitting on a donkey, and they're waiting for him. So the disciples, verse 6, went and did as Jesus commanded them. They weren't always that good at doing that. A lot of times he would tell them to do things and they would have their own mind made up. But I love the simplicity of this verse. I underlined it in my Bible and I just wrote to the side, Lord, help me to have this heart. That if the Lord tells me to do it, I just go do it. Often Peter would argue with them before, Lord, I don't think so. And they would say, oh, not so, Lord. But this time God gives them a simple instruction and they went out and did exactly as he said. We too need to learn to simply obey God, not to question or try to improve upon his commands, but to simply obey him, verse 7 and 8. Then they brought the donkey, they brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now this is an amazing scene, because again, the city has exploded a number of people that are there. There's this huge crowd in the midst of all the activity. This crowd comes out of Jerusalem. They go over to where Jesus is and they begin to lay out their clothes and they begin to lay out branches on the ground. These are all signs of royalty. These are all signs of a king has come. They're recognizing him for who he is. We're going to see in a moment they begin to shout out, Hosanna, save now, we pray you. And as they're doing all of this, they've stopped what they're doing to focus on and acknowledge Jesus Christ. It's similar to giving somebody the red carpet treatment. It seems to be something appropriate, again, only for a king. In the Old Testament, when Jehu was anointed king, said each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on the top of the steps, and they blew trumpets and shouted, Jehu is king. So this is something they've done for kings in the past. So this is not something you do for a traveling rabbi. They're not acknowledging him as a good teacher. They're not acknowledging him as, as uh, somebody they might be able to learn from. They're acknowledging him as the king. He's the king. And he's the one we've been waiting for. Palm branches were emblems of victory and success. This was an amazing scene as this great multitude is laying all this out for our Savior and the Passover being the most exciting and most crowded time in Jerusalem and Jesus is announcing to them all through the fulfillment of prophecy, through the words, his works, his miracles, the things he's done in his three years of ministry, that he's the Messiah that they have been waiting for. They rejoiced. You know what, guys? When I hear the name Jesus, I just want to rejoice. When I hear his name, I just can't help but praise him. Sometimes I think about my Savior and I'm just brought to weeping. What a great and awesome God we serve, amen? And we should never be ashamed of him. We should never deny him. We should never keep him to ourselves. The most, uh, the most worst thing we can do as Christians is go to heaven by ourselves. We should never be undercover. And this is a time right now when people are looking for answers. Guys, it's kind of a trifecta. We've got Passover... We've got Good Friday, we've got Resurrection Sunday, and we've got a pandemic. Can I get an amen? amen? And in the midst of all people that are worried and fearful and anxious, and they don't have any answers, and they're looking for hope, guys, we can give them all hope by simply pointing them to the cross. It's empty. And so is the tomb. We serve a risen and living Savior. And guess what? We ought to shout out, save now, we pray you, just like they did on, Passover, on, the, on this time of the Palm Sunday. So Jesus is announcing to them who he is. He's making it clear. And in Luke's gospel, it says that before Jesus entered in to Jerusalem, 
he wept. He looked at Jerusalem and began to weep. And the reason he was weeping is he knew that most would reject him. He knew the judgment that was coming upon them because they had turned their eyes away from him. And I would say that if the Lord looked at California, if he looked at the United States today, he would weep. Because so many of us who call ourselves Christians, this once profoundly Christian nation, so much of us has turned our back on God. You know, and I was watching a special with my son yesterday on Hitler, and we're talking about what a wicked and vile man he was because of what he did. And here's the reality. Our country has killed five babies for every Jew that, that Hitler killed. We, we are not above condemnation from God. Can I get an amen to that? We need to repent. We need to honor the Lord. We need to get our eyes back on him. We need to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to live out loud for him. Can I get an amen to that? Walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us. Jesus is the answer for the pandemic. He's the answer for everything. Verse 9 and 10. Then the multitudes who went before those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The word there in Hebrew means save us now. Save us. Well, that's a message people should shout today. Son of David. Very clear they're recognizing him as the Messiah. It says throughout the Old Testament that the Messiah will be the son of David. When they say son of David, they're referring to the Messiah who is coming. Jesus is of the line of David, but more importantly, he is the Messiah they've been waiting for. This was an open adoration of Jesus as the Messiah. They lined up, they cheered, they shouted with adoration. Should have been this way every day with people who ever came into contact with Jesus. And guys, it ought to be that way for us every day. No matter what's going on in the world around us, it's good to know that God is still in control. And we are truly rich in Christ because we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, because we've been born again and we're going to heaven. Unique in that Jesus didn't try to silence these accolades. See, every other time when people wanted to make him king or when they wanted to tell others about him, he would often tell them to keep it to themselves. This time he doesn't do it. This time, he receives all the accolades that he is the king of kings, because, guys, he is the king of kings. All the accolades that he is the Messiah. Save us now, we pray you. He receives it all, because he is the Messiah. And it's for this moment that he had been born. It's time. Open praise and adoration, recognition of the Messiah as more than just acceptable. It's warranted. Jesus no longer, again, warning against such praise, but receiving it. By the way, Jesus didn't sneak into Jerusalem. He came in with a crowd shouting his name and singing his praises. And guys, when he came in, he wasn't hiding from the Romans. He wasn't hiding from anyone. He came in boldly. He came in openly, and he made it clear who he is. And guys, the only time it's going to be bolder is when he comes back again. Because next time he comes back, we're all going to know. And every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But guys, let's not wait till then. That will be unto judgment for those who have rejected him. If we bow our knee now, it's unto salvation. And guys, we need to give our lives to the Lord. Don't avoid, he didn't avoid the religious leaders. He knows that we'll have him condemned. He doesn't hide from the Roman leaders who he knows will call out and, and condone his crucifixion and also his scourging. Guys, Jesus, God in human flesh, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, he knew what was coming. He, would, he wasn't looking forward to it. He would cry out, let this cup pass from me. 
but he didn't shy away from it either. Let me tell you why he didn't shy away from it. Because he loves you. Jesus endured this because he loves you. How you determine the value of something, what someone is willing to pay. Jesus knew the beatings were coming. Jesus knew the mocking was coming. Jesus knew that the cross was coming. Jesus knew that he would be separated from the Father and have all the sin of mankind placed upon himself. He knew for the first time in history that he would know separation. He would know pain like no other, be tortured like no other. And he could have stopped it any time he wanted to because he's almighty God. But you know why he endured it? Because he loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. That's a great and awesome God we serve. Can I get an amen to that? What a great and awesome God we serve. He loves you so much. Don't leave earth without him. Can I get an amen? He endured it all out of love for us. That's the word agape. It's, this, it's a love that loves someone outside of yourself more than yourself. It's a love that gives. A love that's willing to suffer and die. On this Palm Sunday, there are cries of adoration and there are cries for help. Will in a matter of days turn into cries of condemnation. Away with him. Crucify him. Now, I mentioned that he fulfilled the prophecy. Back in Daniel, we don't have time to go into it, but he talks about the 70 weeks. And there's an interruption between the first, you know, first weeks and the last seven. And the last week. And, that, and so the week of Daniel, so there's 69 weeks have already taken place. Without going into all the details, but in those days it was 360 days to a year on the old calendar. If you take the number of years that's talking about and multiply it by 360, it comes out to 173,880 days. And it says in the word of God that from the day the, the, word, the command goes out to rebuild the temple till the Messiah enters into Jerusalem, it'll be 173,880 days. Guess what? The command went out, and 173,880 days later, Jesus is coming in into Jerusalem. And you know what? The prophecy was not something that was hidden from people because people were showing up expecting him to be there. So this is foretold. The Lord fulfills prophecy. Again, he is the Messiah that they have been waiting for. Now, while it seems they are truly worshiping Jesus, what they're really saying, for the most part, they wanted an earthly conqueror. They were under the rule of the Romans, and they didn't care for the Romans. They, they tried to live alongside them, but they didn't care for the Romans. The Romans were oppressing them, especially at Passover, where they were remembering their deliverance out of bondage in Egypt. Now Jesus is showing up, and they're thinking, hey, maybe he's going to overthrow the government, and now we will be in charge, and we will no longer be under the throne of Rome. So when they were saying, and save now, we pray you, many of them were saying, save us now from the Romans, we pray you. Guys, we don't say to the Lord, save us now from our government. We say, save us now from our sin. It's our sin that needs to be forgiven. It's not being delivered out of the rule of a government. Others are saying, help us economically. Save now, we pray you. We're struggling financially. Lord, save me. Give me money. Now again, he is Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider. We can't outgive the Lord. But guys, we don't come to Jesus for money. We come to Jesus for salvation. Can I get an amen? And so the reality is that they were crying out, but they were crying out for the wrong thing. They wanted Jesus to be the new general to overthrow their enemy, or they wanted him to be the, the new financial advisor who would bless them with a bunch of stuff, the Santa Claus in the sky. Others, too, would say, lead us militarily. So, Lord, beef up our military, or overthrow the government, or give us money, or give us stuff. Maybe today you would say, Lord, save now, we pray you. Rid us of the pandemic. 
And we certainly can pray that God would give us victory over this. But here's the good news. God's not surprised by it. God is faithful. God's in control. And for us as believers, while we should be uh, wise, we shouldn't be foolish, we also don't need to be fearful. Because the worst thing the world could do to us, the best thing could happen to us. If you know the Lord, we're not afraid. And again, be a good steward. Make sure we are sensitive to those around us. We don't want to get sick and pass it on to them. But at the same time, guys, our peace doesn't come from the vaccine coming in time. Our peace comes from what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, being born again, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and having a relationship with the Prince of Peace. So here they are crying out to the Lord, crying out his name, save now we pray you, it says in verse 10 and 11, and when they had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So imagine all the cities crying out, who is this? Who is this? When a, a big crowd gathers, people want to, people flock over to find out what's going on. And Jesus is coming in on the foal of a donkey and people are putting out palms in front of him and they're waving them and they're throwing down their clothes and they're crying out, Hosanna, save now, we pray you. And so people hear it and part of that crowd moves over to where Jesus is and they say to the crowd, who is this? Why are you so excited? Who is this that you're talking to? Now look what it says. So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of, Ga- Nazareth of Galilee. Now, is he the prophet? What's the answer? He is. But is he more than that? See, the real accolade would be, this is Jesus, the Messiah we've been waiting for, the Savior of the world. While they are, while they are proclaiming his name, they're not giving him his full due. See, there's a lot of people today who refer to themselves as Christians, and they don't see Jesus as more than, ah, well, I'm a Christian because I live in America, and it's a Christian nation, and I like, you know, I go to church on Easter and Christmas, and I believe there's good things I can learn from his Bible, um, but they're not really real stories, and he's not really the son of God, and I'm not so sure about this cross thing, and who's got proof that he rose from the dead? Guys, as Christians, you, he's either the Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Either everything the word of God says about him is true or you are rejecting the Messiah. The Bible says we're either for him or against him. We don't cry out, hey, good teacher. No, we say Lord, Savior, God, King. That's who Jesus is. But they do at least recognize who he is. Jesus, they say, of Nazareth. And then they say that he is the prophet. And again, they have their own physical expectations of what they want this Messiah to do. They believe they're proclaiming him to be the Messiah, but they want him to overthrow the government, to take care of their temporal problems. When Jesus doesn't meet their, their expectations in four days, Hosanna, as we will see on Thursday night, Hosanna's going to go to crucify him in four days when they don't get what they want from the Savior. It says that word move there. It says when they come to Jerusalem, the people were moved in their hearts and they began to cry out about him. The word there is seismic. It's a word that you use for an earthquake. When Jesus showed up, the whole city was shook up. When Jesus showed up, the whole city was shook up. When they moved and began to speak about the Lord, it shook up the whole city. This city had all gathered together to celebrate the Passover and Jesus arrived and he had everyone's attention. And guys, when Jesus shows up next time, He's really going to have it shook up. Can I get an amen? Included in the crowd were Jews who lived in Jerusalem. The crowd who'd witnessed Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead just 
on his way there, he had stopped and raised Lazarus from the dead. There were those that knew he had risen the dead or heard about it. There were the religious leaders, but there were also others in the town, and they're all witnessing this and trying to figure out exactly who Jesus is. The news of Jesus' miracles, no doubt, had traveled through the crowd, and they wanted a miracle worker to perform for them, and religious leaders still only concerned about their own interests, concerned about how Jesus might impact their power and their position. The multitude in Jerusalem is responding to the stir by asking, who is this? And they identify him again, not as the Messiah, not as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but simply a prophet from whom the from a less than impressive city of Nazareth. So today we have the same problem. There are those who recognize Jesus as God if he meets their expectations. It's not faith if it's conditional. We don't try Jesus. There used to be bumper stickers in the 70s and 80s that said, try Jesus. We don't try Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? We surrender our lives to Jesus. He's not, you know, it's not, we're not trying to snow cone, okay? We're not trying to see if we like something. It's we give our life to him fully and completely. And a lot of people will come to the Lord and say, well, I'm so desperate, I'll give God a try. And I'll, okay, Lord, if you come and fix all these problems, then I might believe in you. That's not the way we come to the Lord. Many see Jesus merely as a prophet. Again, a good man, a good teacher. I want to say this. We need to be better equipped as Christians. What do you say if someone says to you, why do you believe in Jesus and not Buddha? Why do you believe in Jesus and not, and not Hare Krishna? How do, you, how do you know that the other religions aren't right too? What makes your faith different than everybody else's faith? Let me tell you the difference. You ready? Jesus Christ is a risen and living Savior who triumphed over sin and death. He is the creator of all things. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He has fulfilled prophecy. Everything historically written about him is proven to be true. We do not serve a dead God, but a risen and living Savior. Can I get an amen? We have 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. That's only possible because God wrote the book. Guys, we have not checked our faith at the door, our brains at the door. Guys, we don't believe in spite of the evidence. That would be superstition. Guys, if you don't understand that this is proven to be true, whether you want to do historically, let's use archaeology. They keep digging up places. Every time they turn over a shovel of dirt in the Middle East, we got more proof that Jesus is God. Can I get an amen? And so, guys, we don't have to walk around to be ashamed of our faith, and we don't have to act like it's equal to other faiths. It's not, because other faiths are all wrong. Pastor Dave, that's narrow. No, it's truth. And the truth is the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Not by me or Mohammed, not by me or Hinduism, not by me or the Jehovah, no, by Jesus Christ alone. And guys, as he came in, while many were shouting his name, only a few really meant it. Most of them are going to walk away. Most of them are going to reject him. And soon they will be crying out for his crucifixion. Many think Jesus is somebody, maybe I can learn from him. He tells good stories. But not the God who created them, who is worthy of our praise and adoration, the Redeemer who saved them from their sins and who, must be surrender, who we must surrender our lives to. There are those who see Jesus as a threat to their lifestyle. We're about to talk about these guys. The religious leaders See, Jesus has a clear threat to their power, position, and authority. You know why? Because he was. Because their power, position, and authority was placed by themselves, not by God. People reject Jesus today because they don't want to give up their lifestyle. They don't want to give up the throne. They don't want to be accountable to the Lord. So here are reasons why people reject the Lord. They have conditional faith. They see Jesus only as a good man, not as the Savior. And they value their own comfort 
their own pleasure above a relationship with the God who created them. It's not enough to believe in Jesus or recognize him as a good teacher. He must both be Savior and Lord of your life. So now Jesus has entered in. The people are stirred up. Who is this? He's been proclaimed to be a prophet out of Nazareth. And now Jesus has but a few days before he goes to the cross. They're expecting him to go to the Romans, maybe, to go overthrow the government, or maybe to you know, fix their economy. And Jesus doesn't do that. What does he do instead? Well, Jesus is going to confront hypocrisy. Look at verse 12. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of, mo- of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Now, three years earlier, Jesus had already done this. He had gone in because they had turned his father's house into a den of thieves. They had turned the place where they were coming to worship into a place to make money. And it was in the outer court where only, this is the place that, the only place the Gentiles could go. So you had the, the court of the Gentiles, and you had the court of women, and then you had the court of men, the Jews on the inside. And so here they are, and the only place the Gentiles can go to learn the truth, they walk in, and what they see is a swap meet. It's a big bazaar. They got tables set up. Now, what, some of what they were doing was necessary, but really was a scam, because here's what would happen. Some people would travel great distances, some for hundreds of miles. Some would travel for weeks to come to Passover. And it was hard to bring an animal that great of a distance to make sure it wasn't harmed in any way. A lot of times they would bring the animal. And what would happen is the priest would look at it, and they had to examine it and say that it was worthy to be used as a sacrifice. But here's what they would do. Here's where the scam comes in. They would tell, oh, no, yeah, that's, this is no good. you got to buy one of our animals. And then what they would do is they would get over on them in the way that they exchanged money. So they would come from a different province and they had to have money that was, could be used there. So they would ex- give them a exchange rate that's wrong. They would, take, they would abuse them that way. And then they would turn around and an animal that might cost five denarii, they would charge 50. And so what they were doing is they were ripping people off when they brought their money from a faraway land, and then they were ripping them off when they went to buy a sacrifice. And so the people that are supposed to be serving people and pointing people to the true and living God are using the church as a way to get rich. Gee, there's nothing new under the sun. Can I get an amen to that? Much of what we see on religious television today, when it's got worldwide ministry of, and they're talking about how anointed they are, they're just another Pharisee that needs to be kicked out of the temple. Can I get an amen to that? And so he comes in, and Jesus is flipping tables. Now, he came in on a donkey, which is an animal of peace, but Jesus is never afraid to confront hypocrisy. Jesus is never shy about pointing out. See, when Jesus gets angry in the Bible, he doesn't get angry with the woman caught in adultery. He doesn't get angry with the person who's filled with demons He gets angry with the self-righteous who look down upon others and are using religion as a platform for their own power and to gain their own wealth. Jesus called these same people, these religious leaders, you brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes. Jesus didn't have a lot of time for them. And you know what, today we need to make sure that anybody who you hear the word from, make sure that they're teaching the word of God and not their opinion, and make sure that person has the heart of a servant. Can I get an amen? 
that, that there's only one celebrity in Christianity, and his name is Jesus Christ. So the multitude must have thought again he was going to go to the fortress and deal with the Romans. Instead, he goes into the temple, and there he deals with his own people, the money changers, the way they're taking advantage of people. Three years earlier, he had, he had driven them out, and three years later, they hadn't changed. There's been no repentance. They're back doing the same thing again, and Jesus deals with them. Now, no, notice what he says. He's going to tell them, this is not what my house should be, but he's going to tell them what his house should be. Look at verse 13. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, it's interesting. I read some commentators, and they're like, oh, he wasn't upset because they were ripping people. He said, right, they, he calls it a den of thieves. Yes, he was. They're ripping people off in the name of his father, and it broke his heart. And he said, this should be a house of prayer. So does this mean we should never mention money at church? No. Money's a part of life. But, me, but believers need to learn that giving is a part of the Christian life. There are practical needs a church has. But when people are being taken advantage of, that's when it crosses the line. And they turn the court of Gentiles, the only place again in the temple where the Gentiles could come and enter and pray, into a loud and godless den of thieves. They would show up and look like Mardi Gras, when it should have been a place where people are praying. It should have been a place where people are pointing, being pointed to the true and living God. Instead of a place where they went to enter into the Lord's presence and seek his face, it became a place of personal profit at the expense of those coming to worship. Not unlike what we see again in Christian television today, instead of leading people to the Lord, they're taking advantage of them for their own personal gain. So the first characteristic of the church, what should be happening in, in the fellowship, is my house shall be called a house of prayer. Notice what else. It says there, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. Now I love this. He drove the money changers out, so the hurting people could get in. Praise the Lord. Amen? He drove the money changers out. He drove the false prophets out. He drove the religious leaders out. He drove those who were taking advantage. And then the blind and the lame people could come into that court that was once stirred up with, as a money-making business, and Jesus heals them. See, the church should be a house of prayer, and it should be a place where the hurting can come and be healed. Can I get an amen to that? where they can be ministered to, they can be loved on, they can be cared for. When the selfishly motivated thieves are removed, it gives room for real ministry to take place. This should be a place where the spiritually blind and lame can come, receive sight and a healing touch from the Lord, and the needy should feel welcome and find the kind of help they need. See, people that come to church, many of them, all of us at one point, we were spiritually blind. And we didn't have any kind of a walk with the Lord. And it's here where we can be healed physically. But more importantly, it's here that we need to be healed spiritually. Amen? And that's why we need to remove those obstacles. Get those things out of the way that are turning our Father's house into a den of thieves. Verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. Now, there you go. Where's their heart? People are getting healed. Children are singing his praises, and they're bitter. That ought to tell you that they don't know Jesus at all. Amen? By the way, is there anything more precious than hearing children sing praise songs? 
Can you imagine? Jesus is walking through, and these children, childlike faith, are crying out, Hosanna, when the religious leaders are sitting over there bitter and angry. And sometimes you need to look at a child's faith and learn a lot more than these so-called self-righteous religious leaders. Can I get an amen to that? The children come with a, with a childlike faith, recognizing Jesus for who he is. They're crying out and singing his praise songs. You know, if you want to get me teary-eyed, have, a, have an Easter or Christmas program with a bunch of kids up here singing about Jesus, and I'm done. Because it's just, it's precious. And it's precious here that instead of all the money changers are gone, and now the children are singing praise songs, and the lame and the blind are being healed. And instead of rejoicing with them, instead of being blessed by what God is doing, they're angered and they're bitter. Why? Because he's a threat to their way of life. The religious leaders who are supposed to be God's representatives to the world, they were supposed to be preaching his word and offering sacrifices. They were supposed to be intermediaries between God and man, had instead allowed their positions and the praise of men to go to their heads. It added burdens to the people with their man-made rules and rituals. They would add to the cross. They would add, well, not the cross yet, but they would add to the law. They would say, oh yeah, you've done this, but you've got to do all these other things too. And then they would go and pray in the court when everybody could see them so they could be praised by men. And they loved to wear the long black robes and walk around. I'll be a real transparent with you. I'm sure there's some people that love Jesus that wear a robe when they're teaching, but I don't get it. Because you know what? The focus isn't on us, the focus is on him. Can I get an amen to that? And I don't get it with the role of trying to identify myself as being holy. We're just sinners and one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? To God be all the glory. And when those guys walk around and, you know, the pointy hat and the big thing and walking around and look how holy I am. You know what? We should be able to know how holy you are by watching how you live your life. Can I get an amen to that? By your fruit they shall know you. Not by how pointy your hat is or what kind of garb you're wearing. Amen? It's tragic. And so these guys, these hypocrites, that in greed and theft in the temple, that, all that didn't bother them. It, you know, all the greed taking place in the temple, no problem. All the people getting ripped off, that was fine. A place where, the, where prayer was supposed to take place, it had turned into a Mardi Gras. That didn't bother them. Jesus coming in and healing people and driving out the money changers, that bothered them. You know what else bothered them? I think they were bothered because Jesus was getting praised and they weren't. Can I get an amen to that? The children were praising the true Messiah and they didn't like it. The focus isn't on me anymore, it's on Jesus. Guys, that should be the ultimate prayer we all have, that the focus is never on us and it's always on Jesus, amen? And these guys are bitter because the focus, again, of these children is Jesus and not them. You know what I love about children? You know, they all have an Adamic nature. I've got kids and grandkids, I get it. But they don't have an agenda. They don't have any selfish ambition here. They see Jesus for who he is, and they're praising him. They responded to his power to call out the hypocrites and thieves and to transform lives. They saw him healing blind and lame. You know, if an eight-year-old sees a blind man, can see now, they get it. That's a miracle, and they're praising the Lord for it. And the religious leaders are just responding in anger and jealousy because... The focus has been taken off of them. Tragic. So his house is to be a house of prayer. It's to be a place where the hurting can get help. It's a place where God's power is evident. Amen? What, what, what happened? People were healed. God's power was evident. Amen? They saw what God was doing there. It blew them away. 
You know what else? The fourth thing we just saw the children do. It should also be a place where Jesus is praised. Amen? I've had people say to me before, we can't come to your church anymore because you act like Jesus is the only thing that matters. Uh, He is. Can I get an amen to that? He is. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. What about charity? If we love Jesus, we'll be charitable. Amen? If we love Jesus, we'll be good citizens. If we love Jesus, we'll be good workers. If we love Jesus, we'll be good husbands and wives. If we love Jesus, we'll be good parents. Can I get an amen to that? So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now watch what it says here in verse 16. Verse 15, yeah. It said, they heard him sing, Son of David, Hosanna. They were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what they are saying? They want Jesus to correct them. They want Jesus to turn around and say, stop calling me. Quit saying, save now, we pray you. Quit calling me the Messiah. They try to silence the children and tell Jesus to shut them up. And watch what Jesus says. Said to them, have you never read? Now, I love when Jesus does this. He turns to the guys who are supposed to be the authority on the Old Testament and says, hey, have you ever read? Have you opened up a Bible anytime lately? Have you been in the Word of God? Do you see what it says about the coming Messiah? Hey, are you paying attention to what the Word of God says? I love this. And then he says to them, Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Again, the children saw who Jesus was when the self-righteous and arrogant and learned people were missing the Messiah and were indignant and angry. It's a place where Jesus is to be praised, not the guys in the black robes. Can I get an amen? Amen. Then he left them and went out of the city of Bethany, and he lodged there. So Jesus leaves Jerusalem. He leaves the crowded place. He goes out. We know from Luke's gospel, before this happened, some of the the Pharisees were crying out and saying to, to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered them and said, I... If I tell them to keep quiet, the stones will immediately cry out. Amen? So at the same point when they were trying to shut up the kids, they told Jesus to shut up his disciples, and Jesus said, if they're quiet, the rocks will cry out. Can I get an amen to that? You can't stop who Jesus is. Amen? You can't silence the truth of the gospel. They've been trying for generations. They can't silence it. Amen? Guys, if we don't preach it, the rocks will cry out his name. Amen? It's interesting that don't cry Hosanna for political reasons. Don't be just excited about Jesus. There's four Hebrew words for praise. Hallel means to acclaim or glorify in God. It brings brings the deepest level of satisfaction. When you feel empty and weary or hungry, remember Jesus, that God created us as instruments of worship. The word tada means to acknowledge God's work and his character. God, you're holy, you're righteous, you're just, and you're true. The word samar means to break out in song. When you find yourself singing joyfully to the Lord about something he has blessed you with or done for you. Guys, I think we ought to be singing praise songs all day, every day. Can I get an amen to that? As we drive along, we think about what the Lord has done. There should be a song in our hearts. And finally, the word sabah means to commend God with a heart of thanksgiving. And it says that this is what the children were doing. And then Jesus leaves. He goes to Bethany. By the way, he's got some friends in Bethany. Bonus points, who were they? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Amen? And he was hanging out with his friends as opposed to those, again, who were crying out for the wrong thing. 
This was his home, the hometown of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Jesus had been traveling on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem for possibly days. He doesn't have much time to spend in Jerusalem. He heads back to the Mount of Olives to spend the night. And again, at that time of Passover, the pilgrims are crowded all over Jerusalem. Bethany was close by. And he went to a place where he knew he would be welcome. Guys, I love that. Is Jesus welcome in your house? If he was looking for a place to stay, would he be welcome in your house? Would you set aside everything else? Guys, you know what shouldn't be allowed in church? Money-making people who are taking advantage of those who are hurting. What should be allowed in church is prayer, broken people, children who are worshiping the true Lord, and praise coming out of our mouths. Can I get an amen? That's what the church should look like. Final point here. He confronts hypocrisy. Now he's going to talk directly to these religious leaders. It says, now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he was hungry. Now, you know, Martha got in trouble for being too hospitable. It's hard to imagine that Jesus got out of the house without getting fed. But here's what I believe. I believe because the Word of God talks about that Jesus spent time every morning in fellowship with the Father. Amen? And you know what? That's, what we ought to, that's how we ought to spend our day, before he even ate. So now he's traveling, uh, going back to Jerusalem, where he has a divine appointment waiting for him. He hasn't thought about his own physical needs. He's on his way there. It says, And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves, and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. Does this seem random? He's walking back to Jerusalem, the cross is waiting for him. Beatings are waiting for him. Being mocked, being scourged, facing a, a raucous crowd, and fulfilling the, the you know, the, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And on the road there, he stops and curses a tree. Now in the Bible, we know fig tree represents Israel. And he had wept over, over Jerusalem when he looked upon them. And as he's walking by and he sees this fig tree, it's got leaves but no fruit. Yeah, what you understand, have to understand about fig trees, the leaves and the fruit come at the same time. And the leaves had come, but there was no fruit. I think it's interesting that in, in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, they went and got fig leaves to cover their sin. And the leaves could be a picture, in, in this case, of good works. See, outwardly, Israel looked pretty good. There might have been a lot of good works, but there was no real fruit. No real fruit of salvation. Can I get an amen to that? And the same can be true. We can't cover ourselves with our good works. Amen? Remember that when they covered themselves with the fig leaves, it said they were naked and ashamed, so they covered themselves. But Jesus, what did, what did God do? He, he slayed an, an animal, and they had to wear skins. It's through the shedding of blood that comes forgiveness of sin. Amen? You can't cover yourself with good works. There must be the shedding of blood for you to be forgiven. And he curses the fig tree. Jesus would curse the tree again might surprise us. We must recognize this event as an acted out parable, if you will. The word parable means to cast alongside. It's an illustration that gives us a greater understanding of the truth. And again, as I said, a fig tree is a symbol of the nation of Israel. And these trees would grow to the heights of 25 feet. They can even be 20 to 25 feet wide. They're, they covered the countryside because of their abundance. Figs were a staple in the Hebrew diet. And just as this tree had leaves but no fruit, so Israel had, show, had a show of religion but no practical evidence of faith. Israel, for the most part, is in open rebellion against God right here. And their religious leaders are going to be the ones that stir people up to say, crucify him. 
It says in John 15, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. If your life is fruitless, it's because your life is faithless. So you can't be faithful and fruitless. If you're faithful, your life will be fruitful. Amen? And, and what we're seeing here is they were religious. They did a lot of what the world would say is good works. They had the outward praise of men, but no relationship with God. And if there's no fruit, there's no relationship with God. Jesus had little tolerance for fruitlessness. In a dramatic way, he performed one of his two descriptions in Scripture. The other time was a herd of pigs. He doesn't destroy people, but he destroys stuff that points to, you know, the pigs were, you let the demons go into the pigs and off the cliff they went. And here the same thing, he destroys a tree. And in both cases, he was teaching a lesson. Again, not directed toward people, but towards an opportunity to learn. There's a direct correlation between, again, faithlessness and fruitlessness. And Israel was extremely religious, extremely pious, but also faithless when it came to the true and living God. And here they were in front of the Messiah, and they were indignant instead of praising. Children are singing praise songs, and the religious leaders got their arms crossed, and they're angry. And their anger is going to prop them to cry out for his crucifixion. Last three verses. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled and said, how did this fig tree wither away so soon? Now, it always cracks me up when Jesus does a miracle and these guys have been hanging out with him for three years, still don't get it. Can I get an amen to that? These are the apostles, not the B apostles or the C apostles, but they don't have the Holy Spirit in them yet and they just don't get it. They've seen, they were just there when he, when he raised Lazarus from the dead. I'm thinking a tree withering should not be a big deal. But they don't fully grasp how he did it. And then it says, so Jesus answered and said, Surely I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you'll not only be able to do what was done to the fig tree, but also to say to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Both essentials that were needed for God to do a great work was it to be a house of prayer and a nation filled with believing people. God, it's not enough to pray if we don't believe. Can I get an amen to that? And it's not enough to believe if we don't pray. It's prayer and belief. It's believing prayer. We need to pray with believing hearts. Now, we don't command God. We don't tell God. We don't order God. But we cry out to God. Amen? What if, what if every Christian in the United States got on our knees for an hour together and cried out for God to deliver us from this pandemic? Could he do it? And if he did, it would be for his glory, not ours. Can I get an Amen. They had traded a rich relationship through prayer and belief for vain and empty religion based upon rules and rituals and self-righteousness. And it's through the word and intimate prayer that we come to know the Lord better and we understand his will. We too must beware of the peril of fruitlessness. Adam came again, as I said, to the fig tree and his nakedness. He tried to cover himself with his good works. Guys, good works will never save you. We must come to a place where we fall before the Lord and we cry out for his forgiveness. Lord, how did you destroy this massive tree? And he explains to them that by faith, we too can be used mildly by the Lord in ways that we don't even understand. Guys, we, we lack power in our prayer because we limit what we believe God can do. We have not because we ask not. I want to see revival in Calabasas and the cities that surround us, the Caneo Valley, the San Fernando Valley. And you know what? 
My heart is to pray for it more. Can I get an amen to that? My heart is to see people that I care about who don't know the Lord come to know Jesus Christ, and it breaks my heart. And you know what, Lord? Give me an even greater boldness. Fill me with your entheos. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let's be used for his kingdom and his glory. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one they had been waiting for. And again, promise to faithful believers, uh, not to a lost world, is to pray by faith and watch what God will do. What a great and awesome God we serve. So in closing, a worship team, come on up. Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Savior, and he is the Lord. He presents himself as the long-awaited Messiah. He fulfilled prophecy, proving himself to be God. He came on the exact day that was prophesied in Daniel. He came riding on a colt, which was prophesied in Zechariah. There's going to be a lot more prophecy being fulfilled when we look at Good Friday service this coming Thursday. He received the temporary praise of people, but sadly, all soon, almost all would soon reject him. So too, right now, we're in a pandemic. Some people gotten back to the Lord, maybe opened their Bible, blew the dust off of it, got back to hanging out with the Lord a little bit. Maybe you're here. Hey, I don't want to condemn you. I'm thankful that you're here. But my prayer is that as soon as the threat goes away, if and when it does, don't leave Jesus. Press more into Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? When he answers our prayer, give him all the praise and the glory and the honor. And then we saw him confront hypocrisy. You know, Jesus loves you, but you know what he doesn't love? Hypocrisy in my life and yours. And if we're living hypocritical lives or we're praising him on Sunday and living like the world the rest of the time, guys, if Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count, amen? And we need to live lives sold out and set apart for the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. And we're thankful that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are now in that Passion Week. Jesus entered into Jerusalem. He has but days left before he goes to the cross. In the coming days of Passion Week, as we look back, he, he's going to be falsely accused. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be scourged. And then he's going to go to the cross out of love for us. Lord, you hung on a cross for us. Help us not to be ashamed of you. Lord, help us to be bold fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit help us to be humble, broken and desperate to seek first your kingdom and your glory it's never about us Lord it's always about you may we always point people to you I pray if there's anybody watching today that today would be the day of salvation if they don't know you your word says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord you will be saved we've seen today that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the Messiah we saw today that Jesus does not tolerate fruitlessness or hypocrisy. Jesus wants a relationship, not religion. You're his treasured possession. You'd rather die than live without you. If you've never given your life to the Lord, you can do that right now. Need to repent means to recognize you're a sinner in need of a savior. If that's you this, right now, just get on your knees and cry out to the Lord. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I know I have fallen short. Sin is just an arch return for the separation between perfection and where your arrow lands. And if, you're, if you don't know the Lord, let today be that day of salvation by saying, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I believe that you are God. I believe that you are the Messiah. And I believe that you went to the cross out of your love for me and that, Lord, you paid the price for my sin. And you proved yourself to be God on Easter Sunday when you rose from Resurrection Sunday, you rose from the dead. Amen. And there's an empty tomb. And Lord, I know that you love me that much. 
And Lord, I know I've been talking about you and I've wondered about you. Maybe I've been playing church for a while, but it's time for me to go beyond all of that. To quit being like the religious leaders, to have that childlike faith to say, Lord, you are the savior of the world. Lord, I'm ready to surrender my life fully to you. If that's your heart, I want you to just pray with me right now. This simple prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he rose from the dead and in doing so, he paid for my sin. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, help me to walk with you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Bible says if you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart, that you are now a new creation in Christ. You were once dead in your trespasses and sins, and now you're walking in newness of life. The Bible also tells us when one person gives their life to Jesus, that all the angels in heaven rejoice, which means if even one person listening to this message today has surrendered their life to the Lord, there's a party up in heaven, and we too want to rejoice with you. So let's stand and worship the Lord because he is worthy to be worshiped and to be praised.